Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded, from Disaster Recovery Journal and its Fallus Business Resilience. Now, here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn. We have a great guest lined up for you today, speaking on the topic, transforming and strengthening your organization's cyber resilience through operational effectiveness, change management, and business continuity. So let's jump right in and meet our guest, Rhea Aiken with the City of Atlanta. She is the Director of the Mayor's Office Emergency Management and Operations Resilience. Rhea, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the world of crisis management? Absolutely. Prior to coming to the city of Atlanta, I worked for a large engineering and construction firm for about 18 years. In my role, I grew up in what's called the operational management track. I quickly became really an operations manager of a group of staff and then grew to an operations manager across multiple regions. However, um, one of our business pillars was around emergency management and large-scale disaster recovery. And so what we found was that in the early 2000s, um, people certainly remember storms such as Tropical Storm Allison, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita, Ike and Gustav, and then leading up into what we now call Deep Horizon. When the organization started responding to those types of responses with four and five and six and 700 people, they asked me to go down and serve as a liaison between the organization and our clients to ensure that we were um, fulfilling and executing our contracts in the manner that was expected of us from a federal perspective. And what I found, though, was that going down there, it wasn't necessarily just serving in that capacity, but um, I ended up serving in a lead capacity overseeing those operations and quickly found out as going through the NIMS process and learning incident command that many of the things that we found ourselves executing from a private sector perspective could be leveraged under incident command and supporting large crisis and emergency management scenarios. And so I quickly became across the organization what they would consider a senior level representative down on site. As those large types of responses were coming to our company, I would go down and stand up those operations and ensure that we were following overall protocols relative to emergency management. But I think what was unique about that was uh, concurrently, I also had what's called profit and loss responsibilities for my own operations. And so even though I was down there temporarily for a year or a year and a half, <laughs> um, I was also responsible for ensuring that my home operations were fulfilling their profit and loss goals. And it was really through that intersect that I really understood the benefit of uh, crisis management and operations um, because ultimately, If an organization is not really thinking forwardly about how any type of crisis, whether that's a natural disaster, as I spoke to previously, or in our examples as well, just an overall change in organizational dynamic um, where we found ourselves um, in a position that we may have to close our doors, um, that's a crisis in itself. I found myself always sitting at the table to help manage the organization through those changes and more importantly, help our employees through those changes. Wow. And so all of that has led you to the city of Atlanta. 
Absolutely. In 2015, I received a, a rather unusual call about a new position at the city of Atlanta. And originally, it was scoped for emergency management. And how I responded to that was, well, I'm not really an emergency manager, per se. I would consider myself a business operations executive with crisis management experience. And I said, well, let me ask you, why is it that you are looking for an emergency manager? In 2014, we experienced what's humorously called Snowmageddon. After Snowmageddon, one of the primary recommendations in the after-action review from senior leaders, our former mayor brought together executives from not only internal stakeholder agencies, but also Fortune 500 companies across the city and really took a deep dive as to how the city responded to that crisis. And so the recommendation was that there was someone that would come in and literally all they would think about was how to prepare and manage the city through those types of crisis. And so one of the things that we talked about as we were, I was going through the interview process was what I found was that when you think about emergency management, although that is extremely critical to a crisis, if you really want to think about an organization, and in, the, in this case, the city of Atlanta, being more prepared and being more strategic about it, then I would recommend that we change the role to preparedness. That way, anyone serving in that capacity was always thinking about what we could do to be more resilient and ensure that our city framework, whatever that looked like, was prepared for anything that might confront us in days and years to come. So then from that perspective, two questions for you. So I actually grew up in Atlanta, so I'm interested in this first, first response. What do you think makes Atlanta unique? And then what's the scope of your role with the city? I know you kind of spoke to a little bit of that. Number one, we are what I would consider the nucleus of the Southeast. Although there are other major metropolitan cities in the Southeast, being home to the world's busiest and most efficient airport is number one. And so that makes us unique. Secondly, we are a major intermodal with our Interstate highway framework with I-85, 75, I-20, and then, of course, just a short while away, um, I-10 and others. And then lastly, we are less than five hours away from three major ports. And with the expansion of the Panama Canal and recognizing that there is going to be increased ship traffic through those ports, and then they will be transacted through not only cargo, through the airport, as well as on our highways. And then we also have over 17 Fortune 500 companies that are based here. And by 2020, we're expecting the city of Atlanta proper to increase our population by 20%. So when I think about ransomware with the city and the bridge collapse, can you tell our listeners more about how you and your team had to manage those crises? I want to touch on the ransomware in particular. Most people have read about the impact or the perceived impacts to the city of Atlanta, which in many cases were significant. However, what wasn't quite known is that the strategy and the preparedness to prepare for such an event was actually put in place probably as early as 2015, 2016. And so uh, I had the unique opportunity to work with the first ever chief information security officer for the city of Atlanta. And he and I were partners among many other operational leads within the city of devising a three to five year cybersecurity strategy that was going to bolster the city's information security network inclusive of business continuity and other things. 
when we were impacted, we were basically on year two of that five-year strategy. Although we had put things in place such as increasing our information security infrastructure, we had started a cybersecurity awareness training for all of our employees. We also had instituted stronger governance as well. The reality is, is when the ransomware attack occurred, it really was at the nexus of our vulnerabilities being identified. And of course, we were impacted significantly. So my team, I want to make sure is understood, comprises of me and the 9,000 employees of the city of Atlanta. And so what's unique in that perspective is that instead of building an entire team under my office per se, what we've done is identify key investment hires within respective departments that can serve as change agents and change managers to help facilitate the preparedness and mitigation strategies that we've been developing on behalf of the city. When I got that phone call at 5.45 in the morning that day, there were two things that were coming to mind. Number one, How do we respond to what, at the time, we had not been able to confirm as a ransomware attack? But even more importantly, how are we concurrently operating a business continuity framework so that we can maintain the levels of operations across the city as we understood what the impact of the cyber or the ransomware attack, which was called SanSan ransomware, the impact to our city. And so we had two, actually we had three work streams. One was specifically on the response side, and that consisted of not only our internal cybersecurity teams, but we also brought in federal partners as well as private partners to help us navigate through that. Our initial focus, as I'm sure most would be familiar with, was to isolate the ransomware and understand exactly exactly where patient zero was, and then really try to ensure that our infrastructure was secure as quickly as possible. Concurrent to that was the business continuity aspect, and that was to assess across um, our 40 operations, specifically our critical facilities, our airport, our water, and our public safety entities to truly understand uh, what the impact of the ransomware had on their operations, and more importantly, capture that information immediately uh, so that we could learn from that in the future, but then we could act on that to ensure that we were able to bring them back up to an operation operational efficiency so that they can continue what they need to do on a daily basis. And then the third work stream was crisis communications. That was twofold. It was internally focused and it was externally focused. And it was externally focused to ensure that our stakeholders in this case, which are the residents of the city of Atlanta, the business owners in the city of Atlanta, and then others, the regulatory as well, that they understood real time what was happening throughout the ransomware attack. And, and then even more importantly, as we were going through the restoration aspects as well. What I found to be much harder, to be frank, was actually our internal communications. That was because, you know, we have 9,000 employees that are spread across multiple facilities across the city framework. Over 30% of those work externally, so they're not in an office on a day-to-day basis. However, they have to be connected to our infrastructure in some capacity, whether that was a phone, whether that was through email or, or through their day-to-day operations. So devising and making sure that we had a communication strategy that, quite frankly, was able to reach all levels of the organization. 
So when I think about business continuity, I think about the actual event. And then to your point, you know, there's a response perspective as we look at cybersecurity, how long it took you guys to actually get the data back, get the information that you needed to continue to fulfill the operations for the city. And so can you kind of talk a little bit about how BCP played a role after crisis management? Absolutely. I would offer that we leverage instead of like a business impact assessment, we called it an operational impact assessment. The reality is that with most organizations, what you find and the same is no different for the city of Atlanta. We had certain operations that have very strong business continuity plans and programs. Some of that was influenced simply because of the nature of what they do and the regulatory framework that requires them to do so. But what I would say is for many of our organizations, we found that as we were conducting our operational impact discovery sessions, and as I said, that was going on concurrently, we were trying to capture, number one, what was the impact immediately in the foreseeable future? What do you foresee the impact of the cyber attack to your operation and capturing that real time? And then also looking and asking to see and verify the manual processes that were in place for a given operation so that we could validate that they had the things in place to maintain the level of operation that we expected, whether that was from four hour, six hour, one week, two week, four week, six week perspective. So looking at our ability to stand our operations back up. And then if they didn't have them in place, what resources we needed to put in place to make sure that we conducted a thorough review of their operation, developed some manual processes to put in place, and then practice those and then get their operation back to where it needed to be. And the best case that I can provide was really with our municipal courts. Um, Our municipal courts were significantly impacted and really from a point of being able to see and receive the number of court cases that they customarily do on a daily basis. And although they they had a number of courts that were open, many of their processes are all conducted electronically. What we found was that a majority of our data was encrypted But then some of the software that we needed to bring on board as part of our critical applications, we couldn't do so until we were able to mitigate the issues with the original applications. Uh, Lack of a better term, there were clearly some interdependencies between different systems between our municipal courts. When one system was impacted, it ended up being basically a domino effect with other systems within the court system. What we did is we brought in a team and we literally took from step one all the way down to the ticket holder going to the court process, having their court date, having their court date reset or paid. Um, We walked that through an entire manual process and that took two to three weeks. That was the best case to be able to bring to the rest of our operations about how manual processes were so important to the viability of their operation. I don't know what could have been a better example. So I read in a couple of reports that this ransomware attack was one of the U.S. costliest cyber attacks affecting a local government in 2018. And so what would you say were the top three lessons learned with that? How did you all achieve operational effectiveness? 
Without a doubt, is ensuring that you have a robust business continuity and disaster recovery program. And our new CIO, one of the pillars of the organization once he came in is basically going back to the basics and ensuring that our foundation is where it needs to be. A, a holistic BCP DR program is in order. It's thrilling for me because um, I happen to be a partner with our information technology team and making sure that is being put in place moving forward. As part of that, though, is recognizing technology is changing every single day, no matter how innovative we believe we should be in the context of being the first city or being the first organization to ensure that we're at the forefront of technology. Sometimes we have to take a step back and recognize that innovation could literally be ensuring that you have the basic infrastructure security in place and that you have a strong foundation in place. And that includes business continuity, that includes strong governance, um, that, ins- that includes ensuring that your supply chain and procurement process reflect what that means from a technology perspective. And then for many large companies and cities, I would also offer, it also recognizes that you also have to have some protections in place. And so for us, we were very fortunate that a short while before we had our uh, ransomware attack, we had just finished the paperwork on cybersecurity insurance. (laughs) And so if organizations um, do not have cybersecurity insurance in place, I would say that would be a big lessons learned and for us actually a best practice. As it relates to organizational effectiveness, I would offer, and I believe the city of Atlanta has embraced this primarily because I happen to have a seat at the table um, when it comes to the overall city's business strategies and operational goals. In many organizations, I found that business continuity, crisis management, as well as emergency preparedness and management are really passive roles in that organizational leadership tend to bring those resources to bear when actually something is happening. And although this particular position was conceptualized after a major crisis, i.e. Snowmageddon, the reality is that because of the fact that I have the opportunity to sit in mayor's cabinet and I participate in a number of strategy discussions, my position has the opportunity to sit with them at the beginning of strategy development. I feel that that in itself is a key to operational effectiveness. So switching gears a bit, I know the city of Atlanta is preparing for the Super Bowl in 2019. What's the preparedness efforts like in terms of planning that event, managing some of the political or social challenges that come along with that, and then hosting this event in the city of Atlanta? And to your point earlier, where you guys are continuously increasing the amount of people that are within the city. I will just start by saying having the opportunity to work and prepare for a Super Bowl is probably one of the biggest operational and logistic opportunities on the face of the planet. (laughs) I never imagined that I would work with the city and the NFL and the host committee on something so significant and so large. We are working with over 40 different agencies and stakeholders. Most cities, when we bid on an event this large, really our primary roles and responsibilities center around public safety. However, all aspects of public safety are being prioritized. 
And so we've actually been working on this for a little over, I'm going to say almost two years. For those cities that are hosting, we have the unique opportunity to shadow the two prior cities that hosted the Super Bowl. And so we traveled not only to Houston, but to Minneapolis as well to observe everything that they had put in place. We felt like we were fairly well prepared coming away from Houston. We actually had quite a rude awakening, understanding that hosting the Super Bowl is not like hosting any other large events. We use the college football playoffs hosted earlier this year as a practice for ourselves. And we used it to ensure that we had a couple things in place as we continue to move forward towards the Super Bowl. The city of Atlanta being a very congested area, we found ourselves a little bit different than Houston and Minneapolis. In those particular cities, the Super Bowl itself was hosted in one location, but a number of the activities were hosted in regional cities and or counties. And so with the city of Atlanta, we're fortunate that everything is condensed But that actually creates an even bigger challenge because all the activities are being hosted in the downtown city footprint. What that's helped us do, though, is to make sure that we're working that much closer with um, our partners at MARTA, partners at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the host committee, as well as the NFL. The last six to eight weeks, we've actually been going through a number of tabletop exercises that have either been facilitated by our partners at Homeland Security or the FBI, and those have been centered around consequence management, cybersecurity, winter weather, as well as um, other things like crowd control, crisis comms via social media, false reports, those types of things. Well, you said the key word exercises, and with that comes lessons learned. So my next question is, how do you describe change management from a government perspective? You know what? This was my favorite question, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think because of two reasons. Number one, um, had you asked me this question when I first came into the public sector three years ago, I would have scratched my head and said, well, what do you mean? It's exactly the same as it is in the private sector, um, which is essentially you know, organizational management and change based on where you think you want the organization to evolve. It may be under a crisis situation, or it literally could just be because you're changing the direction of an organization and your strategy challenges you. For that to be successful, you have to influence through change management. But I have to say, in government, it's entirely different. It's because of two to three reasons. The first of which is your leadership and your government framework changes. It not only changes every two to four years. So in the case of the city of Atlanta, every four years, because you may have a new mayor, or even if the mayor is elected for a second term, you may have an entire new organizational structure. Not only are you trying to manage to that time frame, you also recognize that within that four years, you may have a change in leadership across the cabinet level or the city structure, however it's termed, the commissioner base level every 24 months. You know, initially when my when I first came onto the city, my original approach was to target the cabinet level folks, those senior executive level stakeholders, because ultimately, if we were going to be more prepared and more resilient as a city, I really needed to make sure that we had buy-in from that stakeholder community right off the bat. 
But I quickly surmised, although that was critical, it was truly the frontline employees of those organizations that we quickly needed to gain buy-in because ultimately, no matter if the mayor changed, no matter if the COO changed, which it has in the three years that I've been there, um, no matter what leadership change, it was those employees, it was those frontline leaders that were going to ensure that anything that we implemented was hopefully going to continue. And that ultimately, any type of change that we were trying to influence across the city framework from a preparedness and resilience perspective had to be targeted at those individuals because no matter whether my role changed, I was in this position, or there was new leadership in place, if we did it right, then a change management culture had been anchored within the city framework for years to come. I'd like to believe, because we've actually gone through an administration change, and our new mayor, Mayor Bottom, started with us in January, and the new COO um, started with us four days before our ransomware attack. Some of the things that we put in place the last couple of years, which were a result of our bridge collapse, Snowmageddon, and others, really helped us as we were managing through our cyber attack. We leverage change agents. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I think that's a huge, huge best practice for us. They were in their respective roles. They embraced technology. They had the ability to influence change within their organization. And they were able to translate whatever it is that we were trying to implement through the restoration and recovery process into, like I mentioned, those manual processes that we're building upon to develop our overall holistic DCP program across the city. And so change management within government is recognizing that you have to be agile and adaptive, that you really understand what the operational strategy is for that given organization, that you identify change management champions, as we call them, within those organizations, and that you completely embrace the fact that bringing those resources to the table at the beginning and in the middle and at the end, that they must be part of your organizational and operational strategy to ensure that change not only continues, but it remains anchored in your culture. We've been testing it. Each time we seem to recover and get ourselves back to where we need to be that much faster. We haven't had a snow event quite like Snowmageddon. We managed through Hurricane Irma. We managed through civil unrest in 2016. We managed through college football playoffs. We've managed through our ransomware attack. Um, I'd like to believe that all of those incidents and all of those events and the change management strategies that we've implemented have allowed us to be more agile and adaptive even as the administration changes and as those opportunities present themselves to the city. You have provided a lot of nuggets and valuable information. I think the one key thing that sticks out for me today is the comment you made about having a seat at the table. And I think that puts you in a strategic position, number one, from a relationship perspective. But then number two, to your point, you are managing a program that impacts thousands of employees, millions of people from businesses to other governments that look to the city for guidance. And so to your point, having a seat at the table is probably one of the most critical things that I would take away from today's conversation. 
how can our listeners find you? The city is actually, I didn't mention this earlier, but we are really fortunate to be one of 100 resilient cities, which is funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. We are a part of a network that uh, really shares best practices and lessons learned across the world around um, shocks and stressors to our communities, of which cyber has quickly become one of the primary concerns for cities and countries across the world. And so I participate on a cyber resilience panel. We are sharing our best practices and lessons learned with cities across the world. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and as Fallis Advisors. Look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asfalasadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. 